A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we're your hosts of Street Politicians, the, the place, place where, where the streets, streets and, and politics, politics meet. So there's a lot to cover today in a little bit of time. And I'll tell you, uh, over the last few weeks, so much has happened in that our shows have just been changing on the fly. But you was, you know, you was handling the camera to um, tape uh, a press conference for Stanley Davis III, uh, who's 13 years old, young boy. Uh, much more focus has to be on this situation, too. He's in Boynton, Boynton Beach, Florida. Uh, he was riding a dirt bike and went to the gas station to fill up. Um, and an officer in the community, Mark Sung, uh, that many people know for 20 years, this man has been terrorizing this particular community, including Stanley Davis Jr., which is Stanley Davis III's father. 20 years, the community knows him. And Stanley Davis told us that he actually um, informed his son about this officer so everyone knows 
Now you see Stanley Davis in the gas station. It's all on video. And you see uh, the officer sort of pull up behind him. It looks like Stanley Davis doesn't even pump his gas. He just runs because he knows this guy. He knows this officer. And he leaves the gas station. And uh, Mark Song follows him, driving in a high-speed chase. And at some point, little Stanley loses control of his dirt bike and he dies. Now, some would say, because you know, there's the critics that say, oh, well, you know, why did he run? And what was he doing? And, you know, and all of that. Well, here's the deal. Jaden Reardon's family, which is a six-year-old young boy, was also at the press conference. Why? Because of the same behavior by the same officer that killed their son. He was in a high-speed chase, and as a result of that chase, um, this six-year-old Jaden Reardon was killed. And then there's little Cyrus, another child who was killed by in a, a high-speed chase situation with um, Officer Mark Sohn. So this officer, and, and, and by the way, as you know, my son, because we learned, this is just one, three things that he's done, three children that have died because of him and his negligence, but his racism towards Black folks on the police force as a police officer is clear. It's well-documented. There's 20 years of stuff in his record that he has a literal rap sheet, people suing him. Uh, folks, he's been reprimanded several times. He's had supervisors speak about his issues and, 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 and they've actually, in his report, there's supervisors that have written things to say that he's dangerous, that he doesn't do his job properly, that he has he's biased and still 20 years later the man is working on the police force and a child a 13 year old child was killed it doesn't make a bit of sense to me it doesn't make sense period man like i said at the press conference this is a serial killer you know this is you know and and what happens for me is like i said i don't really have an issue with a racist and someone who is the killer because that's who he is right but we have a justice system that is supposed to protect those that is supposed to you know protect the the, the um, basic citizens against things like that right there are laws and things set in place so that when you are a racist person that commits crimes out of racism commits crimes period there are consequences <laughs> and the justice system is failing these these parents it's failing these families because they're allowing this person to commit murder without any consequences mm, it is state sanctioned mm. murder it's state sanctioned white supremacy and you know and we're seeing that more and more and i'm i'm really heartbroken for the children i mean for the families of the children you know just looking at um stanley davis jr the father of stanley davis the third and just hearing how this is wearing on him mm, you know mm. just trying to understand i have you know, three sons. And if this was any of my sons, I know the, you know, the, the mind state that I'd be in, I know it would crush me totally. So just hearing what he's dealing with, hearing the uh, mother of the other one, the other young uh, man. Yeah, uh, yeah, the mother of Jaden Reardon. Jaden Reardon was there yeah. and, and just hearing her and she, oh, she man. never hold back tears. Hearing Stanley, Stanley Davis's mother, you know, she, 
she even got choked up to where she couldn't even continue to talk. So these things need that to be That was their only child. Their mm-hmm. only child was killed but because an officer is unhinged and just running wild and no one has done anything about it. There's so, there's so many things happening that I'm trying to figure out who is responsible. Like nobody pays for any of these things that's happening to black people. And I just don't know, I can't believe it. Like I don't, I cannot believe that a 13 year old child was killed after two other children. And at some point, even still till right now, this man hasn't been fired. It's disgusting. And then, you know, and then to, to move on to more things, then now we have 19 babies. 20, well, 19 people, 18 babies and two teachers. It's just unbelievable, man. Like, I don't understand where we are in this country. I don't understand the mindset. I say a lot of prayers every night, praying for not only my family and myself, but just every human being. Mm-hmm. We're just in very dark times. And, you know, I don't even know what to say. Every day you turn on the news, there's another atrocity, you know, and and we have to deal with those things. Trauma, the trauma that is setting in on just the average human being is very high. Mm-hmm. You know, you look, mm-hmm. you look at um suicide rates is up, just violence, negative, it's so much trauma that we're dealing with, and we're intaking all of the trauma, and it's causing you to lash out, it's causing you to do things that are irrational, it's causing mental health issues, so I would ask anyone, if you're feeling like, you know, suicidal, you're feeling like you're dealing with trauma, find, you know, there are definitely hotlines to where you can call and speak to people, you know, speak to someone who specializes in mental health, if you have some individual that you just like to talk to who calms you down, but don't hold it in, don't internalize a lot of this trauma and pain because I know it's a lot. Well, you were saying that it's designed, like that is what white supremacy does. It creates so much confusion and tension that it's designed to make people lose their minds take their lives, take the lives of others, because the whole premise of of white supremacy is to gain control, power, and to be able to maintain whatever it is that they believe makes them superior, right? And so with that being said, the only way to have control, the only way to have power and dominion over a people, a land and all its resources is you have to keep the people confused. You have to keep the people stressed. You have to keep the people feeling like they can't get their bearings because therefore they can't stop to focus on fighting the real enemy, which is the white supremacy and the, and the institutions that uphold it. So they're doing a damn good job. And you said that to me when I was telling you yesterday, I said, I'm not doing well. Today's been a bad day. I was crying off and on after I learned that Irma Gonzalez, the teacher, one of the teachers who was killed in Texas, when I learned that her husband had a heart attack and died, I was finished. The day before, my legs were struggling to walk towards the top supermarket while we were in Buffalo, in Buffalo. Like as I was walking, I was getting to, like I I was videoing, I was on live, there was so much 
family and love and support that was out there. We fed 500 people and it, it felt so good to see, you know, Until Freedom out there partnering with other groups and doing what we could do. But I was trying to take the people on the phone on the journey and bring them all the way to tops. And I couldn't walk over there. So then you come back and now this husband has died. It's a lot. And you said, this is what it's designed to do. It definitely is, man. It's so much. But I do want to shine, highlight the one good thing we did. Like you said, we were in Buffalo. You know, um, our condolences went out to the families who lost their loved ones in the Buffalo mass massacre. And um, we went out there and we decided to partner with um, Feed Buffalo and um, our brother Trade the Truth to um, get some resources, get food, get vegetables, fruits, get all of the resources that some of the families need because like you said, it's a food desert. That tops market was the closest market within about a 20 mile radius. So we decided that what we would do, we'll go out there and make it easier for those in the community who couldn't get or just didn't have the resources. Just to try to provide them with something of joy. There was music. There was a food truck out there in That's which right. you can get free food to eat. 500 so, hot know, meals. 500 hot meals, you know. So for me, it was a little bit of sunshine in all of it. And I sunshine. Seen it, sunshine. <laughs> sunshine, sorry. You know, it, I seen a lot of kids out there laughing. The, the music was good. It was just Elders. a little, little... Yeah, elders were out there. People were happy to see us. They hugged us. You know, they took pictures, you know, to try to provide a little bit of positivity in this time is very necessary. Mm -hmm. We are overwhelmed with negativity and we hear all the negative things. But I'm glad that um, our Until Freedom team were able to connect with other people who have the same mind state and the same hearts like we did to provide that. So Shout out to Until Freedom. Shout out and to Trade the Truth. ABN, that's you know, right. AB, shout out to um, Crew Control Media. Um, uh, Every Bottom Covered, Feed Buffalo. I mean, there were so many out there with us. Uh, and we had our brother Jamil Cruz on uh, the, I guess, two episodes ago on uh, Street Politicians. And we worked with him right immediately following that interview to set up a time for us to go to Buffalo. And we were there. And like you said, it was a lot of love and, you know, a lot of just heartfelt uh, conversations. And to the point that we were talking about before this, um, I was doing, I was on live because we were raising money, like right on the scene. We took people to Target for two hours while we shopped. Linda and I were there in Target putting things in the cart. The folks were on the phone, on the live saying, I'm sending $100, get some more cans of tuna. It's not enough tuna in the cart. You need more rice. You need this. You need spaghetti sauce. You need this. You need that. People were, were, were helping right there. We was doing it live. Because unfortunately, yeah. there is this narrative that like people aren't in the community and, and maybe that's our fault, right? Maybe because especially a person like me, I don't use my devices all the time to talk about what it is that I'm doing. I don't always like to show people or even, and sometimes I kind of feel like, the, because me and you know this, I spend a lot of my personal money donating, giving. I certainly um, am a, am a, a, I'm a very, I'm a, strong donor 
of campaigns, local races, I give people my personal money across the country all the time. I support organizations. If something happens, I try my best to do as much as I can. And of course, I wish I could do more, but I do spend and try to uh, give, donate, invest, as you say. And so I don't often talk about that, but I also don't necessarily use my social media to bring a light or to shed light on what I'm doing in the moment. Um, and so I decided to do that right then so people could help. And they did. Folks were helping us out, giving us ideas, sending um, investments, donations. And, um, and we did that all day. And then as I was talking to this one family, and, they, and, and it was a live conversation, it was a, a mother and her niece. Um, and they were like, you know what? We're not letting anybody lock us up. They were they were elderly. One woman was actually on a motorbike, a motor, you know, the I don't know, the scooter or it's not even a scooter. It's a bike. I guess. Oh, it is. Yeah. So, yeah. so she was sitting there. She had all bags of groceries. We didn't give people one thing. They had bags. People left with five bags of baby wipes and of Clorox wipes and canned goods and perishables and all types of things. Bread. Like you said, shout out to Trader Truth for the bread, the, the, the um, vegetables. And so they were like, we're not letting anybody lock us up in our homes. And that gave me so much like joy to hear them say that and make me feel like I could fight because they were like, we're not, we're coming outside. And for the seniors that can't come, we picking up bags, taking it down there and coming back to help them. And that is what it's all about. We can't, even though, yes, sometimes you might have to take two or three days to sit down, get yourself together, but we are in a fight. There's a war that has been waged against us. And That's we right. better know that we're in this war and that there are going to be people who are not supposed to, when you say white supremacy, what do you mean? Because the, the, the kid in, uh, in Texas who killed those kids, he's not white. It's, white supremacy is not about color. White supremacy is about it's about a, the, a, a, a yeah. ideology. It's about systematic oppression, right? It's, a, it's, it's, it's bigger than just the person who's carrying it out. And guess what happens? Because the, 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 the country is so off the chain with mental health issues and hunger and everything that's going on, social media helping to drive people crazy, you're going to see more people acting out these horrific incidents because folks are not in their stable mind and that is is something that we have to tackle we do you know shout out, once again shout out to trader truth he left directly from buffalo to go right. all the way out to his hometown in texas he went to uvalde you know elementary school and he was out there with the families um and he reached out to us and you know we're trying to help with some of the the finances for the funerals, whatever we can do, yeah. you know, is is a tra it's, it's been a lot of tragedy. It's been so much tragedy, but you know, people like what we do and what other organizations, what trade does, it, it, it gives some level of solace, That's knowing right. that there are people, individuals, and a bunch of people who want what's better, man, who are willing to get on those front lines, willing to go outside, as we say, because when we say we outside, it ain't that we outside with the community. We we work for the people, and you know, and, and it's good to it's good to be able to after those things to come and get a hug from somebody that you know was dealing with a lot of trauma and pain, and when you hug them, you feel 
that you you given your energy to them or they've given yeah. you energy and they smile after it because they know someone kids. So you know, I'm 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 happy to be a part of the, that process, the rebuilding process, the love process, the the community process, the unity process. For sure. And you know, speaking of just all the things that's happening uh, last year on May 25th, which was the anniversary um, of the murder of George Floyd, something that changed the world forever and ever and ever. We'll never, ever be the same. Um, we saw uh, Joe Biden, President Biden, say that he wanted uh, the House to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Bill, and it didn't happen. And so for a whole year, we've been <coughs> fussing, fighting, protesting, uh, demanding, meeting, organizing to get something done. And on this week, uh, the anniversary again of uh, second anniversary, or yeah, the second anniversary of George of the murder of George Floyd, um, the president signed several executive orders, uh, and this was a part of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. He, he focused on some important things, um, and you know, at least we got that done. Does it go far enough? No. First of all, far enough for us. It, first of all, George Floyd Justice and Policing Act was not far enough. So that in and of itself did not have all the things in it and it wasn't as strong as it needed to be in order to address some of the key issues. However, there were some important things and um, you know, there we'll have time. I think we, what we should do is bring maybe Congressman Jamal Bowman back to talk through all of the different things that's in the executive order. So we're not just talking off our head, but really looking at what these things mean. But there was one piece that is extremely important, and that is the registry, the national registry. So because at this point, can you believe it? We in 2022, and there is no national registry where a police officer who has committed some act of violence, racism, uh, excessive force, or what have you, is in a system that all over the country, people have access to it and other police departments. And so you could get a job, you could be working uh, over here and then and kill somebody and then go, you know, 50 miles away and get a job on another police force. And they will say they didn't know or they didn't have the information, even though a lot of times they do know and they just don't do anything about it. But the registry allows us to hold people's feet to the fire and it, it allows us to also manage and maintain data and know what is going on with these different offices. Mm -hmm. Now, the point it's always a step two process. We have to fight with local municipalities to participate in the registry. And that's what makes the executive orders um, you know, challenging. And it makes people say it's not enough because the, these are all federal uh, pieces of legislation that he signed. And so it doesn't always reach us in this on the state side the way that it needs to. So there's always fighting. There's still so much to be done. However, we demanded that the president do something and he has signed the executive orders. Now, one of his issues, one of his key issues and our next, our guest is on for today. But one of his key issues is that he did not want to do things around criminal justice 
from an executive order perspective, because once he leaves office, and especially if the Democrats do not win again, the Republicans will more than likely overturn everything that he's done. And in fact, even if the Democrats are in place and you have a situation where the Republicans are able to win uh, that control of the House, and you know, right now it's very slim. And in fact, we're the Democrats, and I'm a Democrat, um, we're in jeopardy because there are two Democrats, particularly Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema, who vote, unfortunately, especially over the last several years, they have been leaning in a Republican direction. They've been leaning with conservative politics. And therefore, we are not as strong as we should be with our 50 plus one. 50 plus one means we've got half of the House plus one vote being Kamala Harris uh, as the vice president, she has the, the tie-breaking vote. And so if th this situation flips in any way where we lose more seats, which in the midterm elections, I believe it is very, very, very possible, and we might not win, <clears throat> the Democrats may not win the presidency, then everything that he signed as an executive order, everything that has been signed, it will be overturned. Um, it can be overturned and more than likely will be. And so he did not want to do executive orders. He wanted to get real legislation passed from the House, which would have made it permanent. And, and so these things are always a challenge. It's not enough. And it's a whole hell of a lot of more work to be done. It sure is, man. But like you said, something is being done. A lot of people are on the fence with this and that. For me, you know, I, I just understand the government in a different manner and I understand you know, the quagmire that we deal with, I understand that the government structure is really not set up to favor the least of these or, or the more marginalized <laughs> communities. It's not really set up to benefit us, right? right? So when you look at situations like these bills, like having to pass executive orders, at, at, at this point, that's really all we have. But we know that that is, a, you know, it's a Band-Aid on a, on, a, on a gunshot wound. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to, really make any change because each individual state has the ability to just say we're not following that because it's just on a federal level and it doesn't apply to our state so we understand what we're dealing with you know hopefully we'll get to a state where we actually have real power within government where we have people who are willing to be radical make radical changes who are willing to stand on it and and fight for what what's necessary and what's honorable and what's decent and what's you know the right thing to do but until then you know we just got to take what we have to take that's right so so that talking about laws and all of that takes us right into our next guest um i noticed that, la that last week while we were as a matter of fact it may have been this week it has been this week shit it's been i mean Stuff is just happening, man. Um, I saw that Gunna, uh, the the artist, when he went to court, the uh, courts denied him the uh, right to be. What is it? Uh, what is it called? He wanted to be. At he home. wanted to. He wanted. Yeah, he was trying to get a bail and, and bail. Bail. That was the word. Yeah. That was the word. Bail. Um, so they denied it. And he, um, you know, has his next court date is not until sometime late in January. So he would basically have to be in jail all of that time. And, um, you know, people on the internet, there was mixed reviews. There are some people who are like, well, because the, of course, uh, the district attorney, uh, the state's attorney, they made the case that he is the leader of a gang. 
he was the shot caller and therefore he's a flight risk and he should not be released um, you know, to home confinement until uh, the trial begins and um, or while a trial is taking place. And then, um, you know, obviously the same thing happened with Young Thug over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that. And so you have these two artists that are beloved by a lot of folks. And like I said, you got a lot of people with mixed feelings. You got people who support the system and say, well, Atlanta is crazy. And, you know, they were in the gang and there's argument over whether YSL is a gang or not. And, you know, and all of that. And then you have people who are just saying, here we go again, two black men who may have kept the wrong friends but you know they it's this a circumstance of their environment um and that they you know should not be uh, looking at all of this time so you've got all of these different perspectives out there um but of course you got two men and others who are caught up in the midst of it and the main charge the main debate has been rico and rico yep has so much to do with conspiracies and, and whether or not you were standing next to and on the phone with and what have you. And it doesn't always have to be that there is specific evidence that shows that you actually killed someone or you know they don't, they don't necessarily find the smoking gun. And so now we have a guest coming up who happens to be your friend. Um, and so I think we should bring him in. And, and this is somebody who's gonna talk to us about RICO laws firsthand. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials 
cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. My brother, my friend, you know, my comrade, somebody that, you know, we speak in... I get a lot of jewels from who's been around in this industry, who's been around just in life a long time and, and, and is an honorable individual. He is the CEO of Adventures Music Group. My brother, Chris Gotti, what's going on, King? Asan, thank you, Tamika, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So before you uh, came on, we were, in, we, we were talking about the topic of um, RICO laws as it relates to uh, Young Thug and Gunna and their situation and, and how you have so many different perspectives. You know, of course, Black folks know how to debate like no other. And so people online have all different types of feelings, but it seemed like there's a common thought that RICO is a very dangerous 
uh, situation for anybody to get caught up in because it doesn't always mean that there's a smoking gun in your hand, but just who you know, who you may be affiliated with and sort of the conspiracy theory of what you could be involved in based upon what whatever the government decides. And you right. said, you know, firsthand about all of this. So why don't you tell us about your experience, what you've been through, and then how did you deal with it along with your brother? Wow. So, you know, what we went through, we went through a federal investigation. I believe they're dealing with the state still that RICO, which is like a criminal uh, enterprise, which they're trying to make it like there's multiple people involved in knowing about some type of illegal activities and proceeding with whatever that might be. Um, you know, when I, I know I text you on your, your Instagram and it was really because I know how challenging it is and i know my son being what you've been through in your own life the challenges that come these things that that are going on right now they put together is very strategic it wasn't like it happened overnight this is something that the government or the state put together for probably some time now before they actually came forward especially because they're famous right because of their stature they would not make moves without having some type of cooperation with somebody saying something. You know, we're, we're actually in a criminal uh, conversation right now. If you, you know, this is what conspiring, you know, conspiracy is all about or this RICO. You know, once we start talking in these, in these forums, in this capacity, you could say something I said or didn't say and make it like it's a real problem. And that's why it's so, serious for these guys because yeah. how how many people they have involved uh it's very difficult to to get out of these things to navigate out of the the situation they're in the way me and my brother did it the first thing we did was sever the case we severed our case which means we we took a different position from the others that might have been involved let's say in our case, Kenneth, Kenneth Supreme McGriff, who's my brother, who's still with me to this day, right? But we know the government wanted them and we couldn't stand next to him in the sense of going in that courtroom with those same charges that he might be facing, okay? That to make us face those same charges. I believe we was charged with, I think 22 or 23. I'm, I'm so can glad. I, can, I, can, I do one, can I say one thing? Because because I sure. don't think we actually was clear, right? So. Chris Gotti is the brother of Irv Gotti, and yes. Murder Inc. was under investigation. They mm -hmm. had RICO charges filed against them. Yeah. Kenneth McGriff was also someone who was affiliated with them, but he was not part of Murder Inc., but he was, had affiliation. They were friends, they were from like yes, family. Sir. And you know, he was supposedly connected in some type of street dealings or whatever, and, and the federal government wanted to get him. So they pretty much attached these cases. So right now what Chris is doing is explaining to you the process in which yeah. him and his brother Irv Gotti went about in being one of the few people to actually be the federal RICO charge. Yes, and we went the whole way. See, most the reason the phase is at a 98% conviction is most people take the plea. They'll cop out. So that's a conviction. But, you know, that is what they're putting the pressure on these celebrities. They never thought me and my brother would go against them the whole way because uh, the offers they made us, the pleas they gave us was like unbelievable. Like it was so easy to say, okay, let's take it. But the problem was I had nothing to tell them. 
And that's what they wanted. They wanted some cooperation in order to get that plea. And there was nothing to say. Again, so if to go into detail about me and Kenny Supreme McGriff, uh, I'm from Hollis, Queens. He's from Southside. Hollis and Southside is all in one. We don't mix. We never did. I grew up my whole adolescent years fighting someone from Southside, like every day, literally every day, Monday through Friday. Like So at the end of the day, people didn't realize we knew who he was in his heyday. He was a kingpin. He was a drug dealer. He did do those things. He went to jail, comes home after about 12 years after overturning his case. And we meet basically just like anyone else would meet. I knew about him. I knew who he was, but I wasn't just running to him or trying to be his friend. He's the king of Southside. So imagine I'm fighting dudes from Southside all, all the time. And he's the, basically the boss of Southside, the king of Southside that we meet. It was very slow paced. And that's how we became uh, friends the way we are to this day. We built a regular, normal friendship. So when he came home, he wasn't participating in all of those criminal acts that I knew about from back when he was the kingpin. He was different. He went in for 12 years, came home. He didn't have the same relationships, connects. All his other cohorts was locked up or dead. So it was a big difference, right? And then the government tried to paint this picture of this is who he was and it just didn't make sense. But the reason I was going into severing the case, which I believe if uh, Gunner and Thugger's lawyers was really trying to do something properly, that would be the first step is to say, wait a minute, my these guys are celebrities, they're stars. They intertwine with everyone. So in my case, what happened when we went in the courtroom, pictures, you know, you started realizing, you see we take all these pictures with people, but it starts telling a story that may not be really true because the story that was being painted for me and my brother was, look at all these guys they're with, look at these pictures, look, and this is their history and their record, criminal records, mm -hmm. and they're involved with them. And I'm like, no, we're celebrities, we're just being nice, taking pictures. I don't know these people, but it's our job now to prove that we don't really have a relationship. And a lot of these guys that we took pictures with started cooperating. Wow, let me, let me ask you, put a pin right there. Yeah. So you, the two of you had previous history, like criminal history from the past that they also sort of used to make the case that you are the same guys that you were. No, 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 no. You did no. not. Not me and my brother. Okay, good. Okay. Not me and my brother. So I this have, was fresh I, and new. Tamika, I've been blessed to navigate through all of those ups and downs from my adolescent years. Not saying I was a saint or wasn't doing things. I just never was involved in. There's no criminal record on me or my brother. God bless. But God the people bless. he took pictures with. Mm. We're at a club, and you're in the club, and you're taking pictures with. They have all these photos, you know. No, so, but that's that's important. This is an important, important thing right here that you're saying. Because I thought we were talking about, okay, you guys committed criminal acts in the past, and now these are some of the new people, and they're saying, well, look at y'all coming. You're telling me you don't even have a record, no right. criminal past, and just because you're standing next to somebody, Right, and you take a picture with them, they're associating you with whatever this dude does when he leaves the club or before he came, or exactly. she, or not even that. Yeah. They're, they're associating him with the past that the individual has, exactly. Wow. What he's saying is when it's, the man came home from prison, he wasn't even engaged in none of those activities, especially not around them. So, so they 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 utilize this man's past, his criminal history, to say, okay, he's attached himself to this organization who's successful, there has to be crime involved.
than this. And I'm going to tell you the mindset of them, why they're doing that, because they feel once you become successful, you should not be messing with your people. Like that's, mm. that is really the, like they used to come to my house every day, the feds, while, while before the trial started. And they would come to my house trying to get me to cooperate. And my lawyer would say, don't talk to him. I said, I'm not going to tell them nothing. I'm just curious to see what they're thinking. And one of the main things, their main agenda with me was, you're part of, why would you give up all this money you're making, right? Why would you jeopardize this business? We was at nine figures at the time. Uh, why would you jeopardize this for him? If you don't tell on him or cooperate with us, you'll be sitting right next to him because he will go to jail. And that was the mindset. And that was the pressure of basically me and my brother, because it wasn't just me. My brother was my brother was getting the same visits. He was getting the same conversations at the same damn time. Like they was going to his house and they coming to my house eight in the morning. It was so bad that I would just open the door and go back to bed and then come wait, get back up in another hour and they'd be in my living room waiting to talk. That's how serious it was. You know, I have friends that was incarcerated. They was telling me how they was going into their cells every day, okay? To, to, to get them to cooperate or tell them about me or my brother, something we was involved in, anything just to build their case. Like there's no ends to how they, far they would go. And um, one of the main things that I did, you know, financially is the main reason we are free. I could probably sit and ask my son right now, if he had money, would he have did his time? Like he probably couldn't fight the fight he needed to fight to protect his freedom. And it yeah, wasn't right. just, but it wasn't just money. It was also knowledge, right? Because you yes, talk about again, mind you, look, yeah. Tamika, you're right. I didn't know, but I wouldn't have needed that knowledge if I had the right lawyer, <laughs> right? My lawyer. If I had the right amount of money, yeah, they would have made you sure almost had the right lawyer, and then almost, you didn't have the knowledge. If I would, if I would have had the right, this is what I'm trying to tell you. If I had the right, if I was worth twenty million dollars. Somebody was sat there and said, listen, this lawyer right here is the only lawyer taking your case. Mm. I don't care what nothing happened. That's they right. would have they would have protected that interest to the point where it would have been no way that that would have happened. And this is the, the when I seen your post, this was why it moved me so much, because these brothers need help to understand mm. that they have financial power. They could help. They could fight. Now, I don't know what they did or didn't do. But I know there's steps that needs to happen immediately. The first thing I did also was I hired a private investigator, a private investigator to investigate everyone around me. I told all my people, we're investigating everyone next to us. So mm. if you have a problem, you're going to get caught. If, and again, it, it kind of shakes up everything. But guess what? What would you pay for, my, especially my son, what would you pay for to know all your people is good? Cause that's what I got. I Whatever got. I had to. Whatever I had to. I found to. two Whatever people in this whole investigation that was no good, but they weren't cooperating against me. They was cooperating with other people in other cases against other people. So two people out of maybe about 60 to 70 people that we investigated was no good. Everyone else came up clean. So that's peace of mind. That's first things foremost. They need to know who's not working with, like who's cooperating and who's not. And those two people, as soon as I found out that was what was going on, even though it wasn't against me, I never talked to them again. No more interaction with them, right? It was over, that's it. And then the next part that I did that was very uh, important to the trial was a jury selector. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and again, I learned this on the fly. I didn't know it going in. 
this is all conversation with my lawyer, General Shagel. Um, and again, when I talked to him, he was like, we probably need to get this jury selected. And I was like, okay, I think I know someone. His name is Josh Dubin. He's still in business. He's absolutely the best you need to know. Like, I didn't know none of this about how you, I knew there was a process of picking jurors, right? But I didn't know how deep you could go into actually questioning jurors. He made questionnaires that they had to answer. So imagine at the time, if I had a jury's uh, jurors that potentially was 50 cent fans, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. is one of the biggest things when you're a celebrity. Now they need to do the same thing. What if they got jurors on their jury that don't like them? Mm. You have to eliminate them. People who support, because I heard them saying something about why in Lucci or something and they're beefing with them and then something with Lil Wayne. So yeah. if they have people who are like supporters of those individuals, those people are not even really there to listen to facts. They're just waiting for the time to say you did it. Exactly. Wow. Uh, that was the biggest one of the, these are like the reasons when I, when in hindsight, why we was able to do what we did and when it was all of these factors. There's more to it. I'm going to go through them, but these were some of the main ones. Private investigator investigate the entire circumference of your circle. Everybody, I don't care. Everybody gets checked out. And we need to do that in the movement. Way. We need to do that in the movement. Yes, that's not just that's not pro just here. Cointel Pro. That's just black folks who are successful in general need to take on that approach to checking yes. everybody around you. But you know yeah. what I, I want to say before you. I was interviewing my man Tone for Queens and Tone said the same exact thing that you said. He said when him and his co-defendant got locked up because they were so business-minded and they had turned a lot of their resources into property, they owned a whole lot of stuff in South Jamaica, a lot of laundry mats and all that, that they said that they were more of a threat than the more notorious people because they were legitimizing their businesses. So he yes. said the main reason that they wanted them off the streets because they knew that they were leaving the game and they were smart enough and they were making that money and turning it into something that was legitimized. So they really had it out for them more than they had it out for everybody else. A thousand. I'm telling you, that the, the, I'll go through all of the offers they made me because they broke all federal guidelines to make me and my brother offers to get to, to just so we would cooperate and tell. And I, I would put a thousand people up on that same situation, I'm going to tell you probably 999 will take that offer because we was facing 20 years. We had offers for no jail time, just probation, but we had to tell. Just my lawyers was like, Chris, I don't know what to tell you. I don't, he said he doesn't uh, work with anyone that is cooperating with the government. Chargell would not take any client that would work with the government. So he said, but these offers are unbelievable. I can't guarantee 12 people are going to find you innocent he said, they, you know, it, it was unbelievable. And uh, if you was to talk to Irv, Irv may not know all these details because Irv was really a difference. He wasn't involved with the lawyers. I was there from the first day, last day. My lawyer said, Chris, you make the snowballs, I throw them. So what that meant was I had to give him all the information of what was really going on in our lives and how we really worked with people and how we did business so he could protect us from a legal standpoint. That's the next part to what I'm getting to is these guys have to trust their attorney to talk to them openly, truthfully, because they're the only ones that could save them right now, Mm. right? Because the the government's gonna twist everything. Like their biggest problem, and I'm sure they're having that same situation is 
our language. They don't understand our culture's language. They didn't understand how we spoke. So back then it was Skytail pages and we was texting. So I have over 60,000 Skytail page messages that I had to go through to see what we were saying. And they, and they didn't know how to translate what we were saying. So they was looking at it from a whole different perspective. And then when I told my lawyer, he crushed them right away because they was like, that's so wrong. This is what this really meant. Even when one day we, it was a simple post like telling Prem about, you know, he asked, can he get the 500? Talking about the Mercedes Benz, right? Simple as that. And then we was talking about Crystal, Crystal, my daughter. I have to get Crystal crystals and they thinking it's crystal to drink we're celebrating because this happened over here this murder took place all and i'm like what the hell are they talking about and that's how they portrayed it now if you can't um go back and see how you was talking and understand that language you can't protect yourself from that either see and that was a big deal that's why they take in that's why they, they cannot survive without someone telling you know 90 90 of their success is because someone is telling and they're getting this information. They don't know what we do. They have no clue. They and that's what, I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to explain to you. And, and people have this thing that, oh, you want to protect street culture and you want to protect, you know, the thugs and all this. And in this case, right, they're innocent people, right? Yes. They're innocent people who are in an organization. And because someone is weak, and scared to do it with anything, they will make up stories, they will tell oh, no. fabrications, they will do anything to get that probation and that no jail time because somebody says you're facing 20 years. So right. this is what I'm trying to talk about. A weak individual, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about snitches and rats. When you, you run a legitimate organization and you have people surrounded by you that's doing the right thing and you have these weak individuals who who been side by side and know what you've been doing and been with you every day and willing to sell you out because they don't want to deal with anything. Those individuals do not deserve any type of leads. You, I don't want those type of people around me. I don't want to celebrate them. They're not doing a good deed. They're not a good citizen. You don't even, They're not none of that shit. That's weak individual. My son, that resonates with me so, so much because our case was brought up because of a guy that I hired who was homeless that I taught and I said, I'll give him an opportunity. He was working for our street team. I would see them there. The first person in the office was me. He was there. Last person leaving was me. He was there. And I said, damn, he's a hard worker. Then one day I come in my office, open my bottom drawer and I see clothes in it. So I go crazy. I call Dex, my, my street team guy. And I was like, Dex, who the hell is putting clothes in my office? And we find out it's this guy named Darnell Nichols. He was homeless. He's telling me he has no money. He's homeless. He's working as an intern in the street team and he needs money, but he wants to be part of Murder Room. I say, listen, I can't just give, I don't just do that. You can't live here. And I give him a job and I teach him how to actually do royalties and publishing. And I said, Yo, I, you'll help me with all the royalties and publishing side because he was good on a computer, put it in spreadsheets, everything. And that's what he did. He started stealing uh, the Skytail pages. And you remember they would get them illegally turned on so you didn't have to pay the monthly fee. And he, because he was a smart computer guy, that's what he was doing. He gets caught with that by the feds and then gives up a story saying Murder Inc. was doing all this, Chris is this, Irv is that. And that's basically, that's basically how the whole case started. Mm. Um, you know, in grand jury testimony, they, they applauded him for coming forward. But here's a guy that just was trying to save his ass to give up a story 
about Murder Inc. He would talk about all the cash that came in, but I, I was a big gambler back then. I'm still a gambler, but not like I used to be. They took my gambling book and seen I was gambling $1.8 million a week. This is how much money I was making with my brother and job. Cause it wasn't just me. It was all three was betting on sports. And when they seen that, they, I'm like, who's going to money launder a million dollars and gamble 1.8 in a week. It just, the case didn't make any sense. That's how frivolous it was, but it costed us over $14 million to protect our freedom. You're lying. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Tamika, my, my attorney, the reason I picked Gerald Shargill, I went to every high attorney in New York City, every one of them. I walk in their office and what's the first thing they tell me? They're a retainer. Mm. I'm like, if I walk in your office, I'm not worried about a retainer. I'm worried about how are you going to protect me? Shagel never talked money. Did I know he's going to be a $3 million retainer? Yes. But he never talked money. He talked about how he could work for me, his relationships in the courtroom. He gave me all his like insight and knowledge. And I said, as soon as I met him, I'm messing with him. Is, that a black to, man? is he a black man? No, I went to the best black man, according to what they told me, which was Ted Wells. Mm, okay. And he was right away, sharp suit, walk in. He's like, yeah, he, he, you know, the swag. And he's telling me $3 million retainer. But I'm like, can we talk about yeah, the tell me what you can do. Yeah. Like, if I'm in your office, I'm not worried about $3 million. I have that. Right. That, and that was, we went over that. That was just the start. Just understand. Right. Investigation. And before we got to him, before we got to him, and Irv took Gerald Levcourt, same retainer. Before we got to him, uh, we had hired this firm because we I didn't realize, again, my ignorance was I was under investigation. I didn't know I had to get attorneys and everything to protect myself. And I'm only under investigation, which means technically they're just looking at it mm -hmm. to see if there's something going on or whatever. And basically, I was like, OK, and I've been I was paying this high priced attorney or this law firm, Kay Schuler, Kay Scholler. I mean, every month, I mean hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. They received millions before we even got to our real attorney. Mm. So again, these guys have a lot to make sure they, they're thinking about. And, you know, when I seen the, their lawyer put in to get them out of um, the jail for bond because on condition. conditions, right. okay. As soon as I seen it, I'm like, he's a clown, that lawyer. Yeah, you can't even, yeah. I mean, but then you know, again. It's jail. But then again, and we're not in the overseas. Bottom, the bottom line is that, country. Like, a lot of times, these, like he said, these lawyers will bleed you, right? They, right. They get retainer fees every time they go to court. They need a certain amount of money. Right. They go to Motion. court for frivolous shit that yeah. they know that you're not gonna get. They're not gonna sit there and say, "Listen, more than likely you're not gonna get a bond on this." But let's put together some shit that's really giving you an opportunity to say, "Okay, this bond, this this request right here really makes sense." So now you get you trying to go for a bond sixty times, and you wearing out you wearing out the shit because now the judge is like, "You just throwing up anything to say something." Whereas you come to them, okay, listen, based on this evidence, based on this, boom, 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 my my client is this, my client has this, he has family, has this, he's stationary, all of these things. We're gonna ask for bond. We're gonna ask that he be in his home. That's what real lawyers do. They don't just randomly throw out these requests. But these people want to be able to go to court and get paid to go to court. But let me just say this, and we we've got we have the uh, the advocates and family of Julius Jones who was on death row uh, not long ago, uh, and we all got together, organized, and fight to get him off death row. 
uh, he's, his family is coming up next. And so we've got to um, cut our time. But it's two things I want to say. One is that also the way the media tells the story about what happened in court can be mm. skewed. So it could have been a bunch of motions that were filed and one of them happened. I mean, what I'm trying to tell you is the, the, the time that the motion the is timing filed, is it doesn't okay. make sense. Because okay. it takes you time to really come up with, you get you want to get letters from the family. You want to get heartfelt letters from the daughter. You want to put together a real thing that when you present it, that they're looking at it and say, okay, this person is not really a threat at this point, e even though we, we're going to go to trial, but we want, he can be in his home. He can be confined to his home. You want to put together the best possible thing that you can. And, and again, these guys are very big celebrities. I, I don't know them personally. I know, you know, some people inside of them, but they're very big celebrities. They're not a flight risk. They, they, you know, that's what the government or the state is concerned about why they wouldn't release them. They're not leaving. They're going to show up in court and face their, the music. Right. And then, you know, they don't want them to actually make money. That's the other part, because they know with money, you could protect yourself. You could fight. You know, one of the things they did with us is they made Universal, our partner, cooperate with them. And Universal cooperated with the government and stopped paying us. So at the end of that trial, I ran out of money. I have no problem telling you I ran out of money. Irv had, who made a lot more money than me in the music career, right? He um, finished out for me. But they, Universal absolutely stopped paying us illegally because they knew we can't fight two fights. Mm. Right, wow. we can't fight that gorilla and this one on the same at the same time. So they, you know, they made us sign a contract in the middle of our trial that if we go to jail, this is how we actually got them to pay us the money they was due us. If we go to jail, they own a hundred percent of Murder Ring. Wow. Yeah, it was just it was crazy, but we needed the money and we did it, God willing, and we won. So we ended up owning the Murder Inc. a hundred percent. And then when we come back, they don't sign us back. They didn't want to give us a deal. It took us over two years to get back to the music business. Well, People don't understand all the interactions that happened um, inside of that. You know, the documentary is coming out, so it's going to be pretty strong uh, into this month in, on BT five-part series. Well, I just want to say that, Chris, you're one of the most stand-up individuals I know. Thank Honorable. You know, one of the most respected dudes anywhere you go, there's a level of respect that you receive, and it's because you've always carried yourself with honor. And I respect that, you know. And God, God did what He was supposed to do for you, man. And that's yeah. why you're here today. I just want you to, you know, before you leave, man, a lot of these artists, you know, are getting caught up in this Rico, especially these young kids. They're getting snatched up, they're on the internet, they're doing all these things. Do you have any advice? Give some advice for these young boys because the RICO is just a new, it's, it's a new thing. They help you get a RICO. You get a RICO charge. Yeah. <laughs> like what, what advice would you give, especially these young artists that's on the internet and they, you know, doing a lot? What would that's you say? A million dollar question, my son, because it's so hard because these it's like keeping it real. And then what's that expression? When keeping it real goes wrong. See, when you're in a position of financial a position where you actually could change your life, your family's life financially to empower them with that ability from the career you chose from this music. You have to be very conscious that it's not just yourself. Mm. So, you know, you got to be conscious that this is what you're really risking when you do anything outside of the proper lifestyle you should be living. You know, you have to understand that, you know, the older we get, the less 
we want to be involved with anything. You know, when we're young, we're not as in that same mindset. You know, I tell everyone when I got older, I put the gun down and I was, I would be, you know, I would remember, you know, Russell, Russell Simmons always telling us, stop the beef, stop this, stop that. I understand why he was doing it because in, in business, street business or well music i want to do a class action lawsuit against them but that's another story but with business i mean with street stuff any violence stops the business mm. a body happens they shut the whole block down everything's gone everything is stopped everybody suffers when any violence happens so you have to understand that as a younger person which most don't and that's why it's like the gift and the curse they just don't get it but they need to really be uh, accountable for their actions and then they would make better decisions, especially if they knew the consequences. Because they might know the consequences, but not think about it. And it well, and if they've not felt it enough to understand how real it is, right? Because it's, yeah. it's just, it, it's, it's a lot of unhinged activity happening right now. And we, we've got to go. I need to invite you back, and I hope my son is okay with you, that we put together a panel to talk about lyrics and names. Sure. Because I remember when i mean i i was you know however it wasn't long ago 20 years ago when this was happening to you i was working with a bunch of pastors and i remember sitting in a church and a pastor was you guys were in the news it was a sunday morning the woke up y'all were all over the cover of the newspaper and they were talking about the situation and the pastor said if you call your company murder inc and your name is Gotti, and y'all are basically celebrating the uh, mob and the mafia, then what do you think is gonna happen, right? And obviously they're saying that with Gunna and Thug. And I want, I want us to talk about, we can't do it today, but I really want us to talk about what you think now that you are older, would you make the same decisions? And you know, what do you think about the, the lyrics and also the, the titles that we call yes. But you can't answer it now. You gotta <laughs> <Yeah>. come back. <laughs> I you, but that's a great question, and I have the great answers for everything you're saying there. Like, it's it's really strong. But again, to the pastor, again, he should he should realize he shouldn't pass judgment. Of course, you know. So that's the, that's good. number one. So when he says, you know, when someone throws stones, you gotta look at them at them because they don't understand the culture. They don't understand what we are. They don't understand who I am as a man to make a judgment. They're just okay. reading what they're being fed. Exactly. And that's what you see, that's right with the, you know, with that jury selector, just to touch again, how important that is. Um, we made sure that they couldn't see things. They didn't have opinions of our music or anything like that because they might be that pastor. And when he hears the information, he may be biased and not really listen to the truth, you right. know? And that's right. the problem. That's, that is the problem with social media. You know, they, they could see so much today. Thank God it wasn't in that era because, man, it would have been even harder to stop those jurors to go home and not see it and hear it and read it on an ongoing basis. And who knows what their opinions turn out to be. Well, we love you so much and appreciate you, guys you coming too, man. and being with you us. Already know, uh, man. You know, let's, let's, let's continue these conversations because the people want to be educated. And that's what I posted. I just wanted to be educated about because I don't know. It's not my world. And I'm sure. not one of people to try to act like I know something I don't and I'm not ashamed to tell the world that I don't know and That's I need right. to be taught so we love you we thank you and we'll, we'll be back again with another conversation that gets a little bit deeper about that judgment in our communities yeah definitely thank you all right appreciate you CD appreciate it, my son yeah.
a new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, 
further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to math and magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. So you all know that we try to keep up with uh, stories. We try to be a place as street politicians where my son and I will, you know, have a topic and come back and talk about it and we follow up. We try to make sure that we don't just sort of leave things as a one off because there's a struggle, there's a fight, there is a continued uh, struggle for justice, struggle for accountability, struggle for our communities. And uh, it doesn't really do us any justice to talk about these issues and not continue to work. And we try to tell y'all this all the time, that these fights that we're up against, it requires everybody to keep your eyes on it all the time, to remember to continue to support if it's financially, if it's physically showing up at a rally. It's not just the one-off situation. November 18th of 2021 was a very, very serious and significant day um, where uh, Julius Jones was set to be executed. And because of uh, the work, the fight, the struggle, and the demands of the people, his family leading the charge, and other organizers, uh, we were all collectively able to stop that execution. But there is still work to be done because Julius wanted to be free, and he should be free. And you all out there who are listening, you are a part of it. You are part of the fight. And of course, I'm you know, sure you heard family members and others thanking us all for coming together, but the fight is not over. It is not over because Julius is still sitting in a prison and he needs to be released. He is sitting there for a crime he did not commit. Um, and if you don't remember Julius Jones, if you, and there's so much happening, you might be like, wow, what, which one was that? You know, you can't really remember. Uh, Julius Jones was framed for killing a white business owner while this man um, who he was in a car with his family and was shot in his driveway. And of course that is horrific, it's horrible. And the right person or those individuals who were involved with it, they should be held accountable. But Julius was not the shooter um, and, and he needs to be freed. So today we are joined by two individuals um, who will just give us an update on what's happening with Julius, where he is and where's the process and how can we continue to engage. 
First is Reverend Cece Jones, uh, Cece Jones Davis, who is the, the campaign director for Justice for Julia. So she was the one that kept us all together and kept, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, the whip on us that we could not stop, we could not give up. And then also we have uh, Miss Antoinette Jones, who is Julius's sister. And I don't know if you watch the news to see people talking about Julius and his family members and social media accounts, but this sister is no joke. She was serious about uh, making sure that her brother's life was not taken uh, and is serious about the continued fight. So thank you, ladies, for coming. And my son, I just talked so much, I didn't even give you space to say you know, when you're saying the right thing, I want to stop you, man. These are two queens who fought for this brother tooth and nail. And, you know, I have I happened to witness it, happened to be there when we got the, the, the news that he wouldn't be executed and just to see everyone rejoicing, you know, and now we have a different fight. Now that we stopped the execution, we got to get this man's freedom back because, as you said, he is innocent of these charges. So we just want to get an update from you ladies, what what is going on? How is Julius? What is the next stages? What should we be doing? Let us know. And Antoinette, let's start with you as his sister. Um, you know, where where is Julius mentally? Because I know he told a lot of people that, you know, he thought it would be death or freedom, but not this sort of in-between place where he's still caged. Um, so where where is he now mentally? And where are you and your family? Um Honestly, uh, he has a lot of up and downs. Um, just coming to the conclusion that, you know, man, this this governor put this executive order on there. Um, he did not take the, like, I, I can't get over the fact that he put that executive order either, but uh, Julius is, he's doing as best as possible for a man that just got off of death row, death watch, um, four hours from, from a scheduled execution. Um, remarkably, God has sustained his mind. Uh, his heart is not hardened. Um, he still, he still wants to live and live outside. He still wants to help his community. He still wants to, uh, you know, do so much and he still has hope. And that's the, that's the main thing that we, that we grasp to is the fact that he has hope and, he, it is challenging for him day to day with uh, different things that come at him, um, but he's he's doing he's doing as best as possible for someone that just got off death watch. Um, and death family, watch, death watch, because you said death row and then you said death watch, which is obviously two different situations. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing, but there's something specific about death watch. Why don't you talk a little bit about what that looked like? And down to the last hours, there were things happening to Julius that to me was inhumane. So he, he had a lot of um, things taken away from when you go to death watch, uh, that's basically you're preparing for, um, you're in these different cells that they move you closer to the death chamber. Mm. And so he, he moves, I forgot if it's every week or every, every so often, he, he is seeing the death chamber but he's in these he's in these different cells each time that he's being moved down. He has a limited um, limited contact uh, with family, um, limited uh, phone calls that he can make. He doesn't have like he can't have a lot of books. He can maybe have like his Bible and maybe some pen and paper. Um, 
is he always has he has lights shining on him 24 7 so you know I, I just that's I don't understand it like that's that's treating somebody worse than an animal that's caged up you know like what's the purpose of that you know um and in the last 24 hours is it 24 or 40 48 hours was he restricted from lots of movement um I want to say I want to say it might be the last 24 I want to I want to say that but um and then they also give you some kind of you have a choice to take some kind of medicine that that like relaxes you and he chose not to take that and I had told him you know that he would not be strapped to the to the table you know I just kept telling him that you know believe that you're gonna have your freedom you know and he was like Ned I don't know if I can take living in prison the rest of my life you know he Mm -hmm. said I'm I'm ready to go either way. And I was like, man, don't talk, don't talk like that. You know, I just had to keep reinforcing like that last phone call. Mm -hmm. I had to keep telling him, no, this is the last phone call for this evening. Mm. I was like, I'm going to see you tomorrow. I'm going to see you tomorrow. I'm going to see you. Like, I think it was Sunday and we never got that in contact visitation before the scheduled execution, but God, God provided a way. He, He had told me early on to call and set up a, a visitation, you know, I, I refused to read that um, invitation to my brother's execution. Mm. And so Cece had to read hers. She literally had to read hers for me to un- understand what all things needed to be done. You know, I just, I refused to accept that, that evil, that evil, I'm not going to cuss, but I refused to accept that evil invitation. And the fact that they sent one to my mom and my dad, like that's so evil. But, um, that last conversation, I just had to keep reinforcing, you know, you're going to see your son one day, y'all going to be out one day, you know, I'm going to see you, you know, I'm going to get to hug you and the process of you getting out is going to be soon. And I hate that it's not soon. It's not soon enough, you know, but he, the, the fact that he got to talk to his son and he hadn't talked to him in a long, well, I'm I'm just going to be honest. He hadn't talked to him in about since the young man was eight and the young man is finna be 23 Mm. he's never got to hold him or hug him and I kept telling him you're going you're going to do that one day you know um just it was a lot of reinforcing because he was he he wasn't playing he was ready to either go to heaven or get out and it was hard seeing my mom my mom does not cry like and I, I mean that because she's like, she is so strong. She holds so much together. I take, I take my, you know, whatever she's doing, I take my lead from what she's doing. And a lot of people are like, well, you're the, you're like his fiercest, you know, advocate. And I was like, don't, don't say that. Cause my mom is like my no mom problem. and my dad, Yeah, they hold, they hold us together. They yeah. may not be visible all the time, but they hold us together. And another cruel thing but it was also a blessing. And I knew that my brother wouldn't be executed because my dad started dialysis that morning of the scheduled execution. So I was like, I'm either going, you know, stay strong for my dad and, and, you know, be positive for him, dropping him off and then coming to pick him up. Or I'm going to head down to McAllister early in the morning. God said, you go whenever you're ready to go. Cece asked me, you know, she said, whenever you're ready to go down there, we're going to go down there. You know, and just having calm, p- 
people around me and, mm. not, and not people that are, you know, already then fed. And so he's supposed to be executed. You know, it was like the, and I don't mean to put anybody on the spot. It was like, I had to reinforce the other people that, that were trying to, they were trying to, you know, be there for us at the gas station. There were so many people that came up and was hugging me and crying. And I was like, look, it's not over with, you know, all is well. God is telling me all is well. Not today. Not today. Not today. CC. Yeah. Talk to us. Tell us where, where we, I mean, we're hearing from Antoinette what we already know. It was the worst feeling, but their yeah. faith held them together. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you, let me start by saying thank y'all so much for, for everything. Thank you for um, sharing this with your audience. Thank you for being on the ground in Oklahoma. There were, you know, this was a, this has been and will continue to be a human chain. It cannot be a one person, a five person, a 10 person thing. This literally has to be everybody in order to make sure the right thing is done by one black man in Oklahoma. Um, so from the bottom of my heart, thank you all. And thank your audience so much for all that you have done. Um, listen, that last week leading up to that scheduled execution was pure hell. Really mm -hmm. the last, those last 30 days were pure hell. And we had people on the ground like Dr. Tiffany Crutcher who led a parallel campaign to ours. I mean, we were, we were fighting like cats and dogs mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. Tiffany um, Lofton was on us. She was crying on my phone every day. Yes, uh, yes. Tiffany Lofton was there. Pastor Mike McBride was there. Right. Um, Pastor, so many. So many. Yeah, yeah, Tracy Blackman. So many folks were there. And so I just wanted to, first of all, say thank you and, and, and share those acknowledgments. Um, one thing that I, I want to go back to, when Antoinette talked about faith and she talked about the visit, I want y'all to really understand what this woman did. Julius was supposed to be executed on Thursday. This woman called the, the prison on Monday and said, I want to visit my brother on Sunday, next mm -hmm. Sunday. And the prison people were like, ma'am, Julius's execution is scheduled for Thursday. She said, I heard what you said, but I want my name on your books to visit with my brother on Sunday. And I want you to know that on that Sunday, this woman was sitting there talking to her brother. I got Okay, so I mean, when I tell you, I'm gonna tell you right now, if it had not been for God, we never would have made it. If it had not been for faith, we never would have made it and Julius would not be alive. But where are we now? So Julius, we are about six months out from November. And his legal team is kind of really trying to de determine what is the legal direction for Julius going forward. And to be completely clear, that is not clear at this moment. Um, mm -hmm. They are really thinking through the constitutionality of the executive order that Antoinette alluded to. The executive order that the governor put in place on November 18th said, that Julius would spend, would have life without the possibility of parole, and he would never be able to get before a pardon and parole board in Oklahoma again. And so wow. um, really exploring the constitutionality of that. Um, so that's kind of the legal part of it. In terms of the advocacy, it's very, very important that, that a few things happen in Oklahoma, even while we figure this thing out legally. It's very important that Oklahoma County get a new district attorney. This district attorney 
was such a cruel individual. When I reached out to him years ago um, to talk to him about Julius Jones, he told me to shut up, to go away. He said, Julius is going to fry and there's nothing you can do about it. He hasn't been willing to pass over Julius's case files to his attorneys. The man has been terrible. We need a new district attorney in Oklahoma County who would be willing to consider new evidence for Julius Jones and pass over his file. Secondly, we need a new governor of Oklahoma. Uh, you guys probably have read so much about um, Governor Stitt at this point, um, not just about Julius, but how he treats the native tribes in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, how he treats um, women's, uh, women's issues in Oklahoma. Um, most people will know that Oklahoma just passed the strictest right. laws in the country uh, just this week. Um, and so we need a new we need a new governor because we need someone who would be pliable and willing to do the right thing and looking at Julius's case um, here in the near future. So those are the things that we are really focused on right now. Those are the things that we can impact as well as to continue telling Julius the story in, in the meantime. So my son, I want you to jump in. Um, and I guess I'm just, you know, it's so much in my mind, but I want people to hear what you said about the abortion laws, because some folks will say, well, I don't know if I believe that, that Julius is innocent and mm -hmm. at least he wasn't killed. So mm -hmm. he that's over for them. But the same governor who knows that there is not sufficient evidence. In fact, there's evidence to the alternative that actually says that Julius is innocent. He knows that. But because of his, for his political reasons, he didn't want an execution to happen on his hands, but he was not interested and invested in justice because justice right. would have been to free Julius completely, right? Yes. And, and Tamika, I think it's really important that people remember that he didn't have to make that decision on his own. He had a pardon and parole board who voted twice that Julius should have should be recommended for life with the possibility of parole, which he would have been up for parole within the within the year. Mm. He, that governor turned his own parole board's recommendation down twice. Wow, his own. These are people. He three out of five he appointed. He appointed these individuals for his. Uh, parole board and and he two times did not take his own parole his board own recommendation, parole board's recommendation. Which, was a, which was a overwhelming majority that said that Julius should be yes. received parole yes right. they voted three to one one okay. of the same one, one of the top and, they, they and the one guy when I listened to him he sound like a stalk raven crazy racist that's right. how he sounds to me yeah. So, so to put these things up to each to next to one another, if you say, well, Julius, I don't know, I don't got time. I did whatever I already did, what I had to do over there. He's not dead. That's it. The man just put the abortion laws in place as well. So what it says to me is women, black men, and our people, especially marginalized communities, that this man is a danger. He's a threat to all of that. So there's a reason to fight 
just because if you're not into the uh, Julius Jones story, you've got to be someone who cares about the rights of our women or the children who suffer the poverty, all of these issues that's happening within Oklahoma. There's a reason to get involved in the fight. There is a I reason. Think, and I think for me, as I listen to it, this this person is not interested in the law. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a some this is an anarchist. This is somebody who believes that he is above the law, right? Mm-hmm. He believes that regardless the 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 you know the situation the um the body that I put in place, the people that I put in place voted and looked at the evidence, and they have more knowledge of more have looked deeper into the situation than I have, and I'm not taking their opinions. And, and not only am I not going to take their opinions, I'm going to implement a law in a, 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 a um. Exactly. order that says that you can't even yeah. get this scene again like yeah. this is unconstitutional it has to be against the constitution there's no way that this is constitutionally because you're, you're you're basically saying we don't even care if you're innocent you come with evidence anything we don't care you're going to die in jail and that's yeah. that that has to be that's that's unbelievable to me it's unbelievable that somebody even has that level of power to be able to do something like this. that's right let me that tell you what I think what I think is what's the bottom line and what really scared me that last week. That the governor's office has signaled to us that the governor was going to meet with Antoinette and her mother and family and the victim's family before making a decision. We got word that he had met with the victim's family, but he had we they had not reached out to us yet for Mama Jones and Antoinette's meeting. Mm. So we were going to them, okay, when are we meeting? When are we meeting? Mama Jones ultimately went up there the last week, sat in, went into his office, sat in there for three hours and he was not, he did not have the courage to come out to meet with her. But I'll tell you what I really believe happened. I believe that he met with that victim's family. Mm-hmm. And yes, they are victims. I want to make that completely clear. These people have been through hell. Okay. But there was something about white women. When white men, women sit and cry, tell their story, okay, about being afraid of a black man. I believe that we saw a hundred years later, the Tulsa massacre scenario played out. And I believe that those white women's tears move that man in such a way that he felt that he had to protect them in some way from the big bad black man Julius Jones and there and so when I heard that that happened when I heard that that meeting happened I said I was very nervous after that wow because and that's we, why he didn't meet with y'all right and because we know how we know the impact of white tears in this country mm-hmm. right we know that. And I think that had a whole lot to do with that executive order. Wow. Mm. So where do we go now? You talked about some things, but let's get real specific. When is the election? Is there anybody else running for governor? And what are some of the other things that we can do? And then is there a, uh, a financial mechanism that people can give to support the continued work uh, for justice for Julius Jones. Yeah, absolutely. So here's where we are. We have an election coming up in November. We need people in Oklahoma to register to vote Mm -hmm. um, for uh, the the DA for Oklahoma County. 
Vicki Bahena is running. We need Vicki Bahena. I think she is the fairest person who is running. Um, for the governor's race, again, everybody's voting in November. We need people registered and having a plan to make sure they're at the polls, they're sending in their ballots. We need churches and other organizations on the ground in Oklahoma to help make sure, help to facilitate registration and mobilization of voters. And we, we don't um, actually know exactly yet until primaries are over in June who his running mate will be. But I will tell you where I'm sitting, anybody is better than Governor Stitt today. Mm -hmm. We will have more to say about um, who the right person, who we believe the right person is after the primaries in June. Um, but in, for right, right now, anybody is better. Um, people can visit justiceforjulius.com to make donations. We are establishing in the process right now of establishing a 501c3 and a 501c4 to, that will do good grassroots work on the ground in Oklahoma City around gun violence and youth engagement and criminal justice reform issues and racial justice issues while Julius is still incarcerated. We wanna make sure that good work goes on in his name in the meantime. My son, you wanna finish us out? I just wanna say thank you for your undying work that you're doing, the energy, you know, I look at his sister and that's the sister that you want. Yeah. You know, that's the sister that you <laughs> need. That. Yeah. That's you know, even though my sister gets on my nerves, I know that she'd probably be doing the same exact thing you doing if I was in this situation. So I just want to say, I commend you sister and I appreciate you. Also want to say, Miss Cece, your undying will and, and what you put into this is unmatched. You know, black women always are here to save us as black men, man. And I and I will always tip my hat and bow to your feet, man. Continue to do the work. Anything that we can do, we will do. And justice for Julius, I'm praying for him. You know, I'm praying for your families. I'm praying for everybody. This is it's hard. I, you know, I've been incarcerated. I wasn't facing death row, nowhere near that. But I know those seven years, the seven to 14 years that I was sentenced to, I know, I know the pain that I felt. So I can only imagine what he's going through right now. And this is a strong brother to have been in there that amount of time this long and still be in control of his faculties and still be standing strong. So I just want to commend him and let him know that we we still here with him and we're going to fight with him to the end. Yeah. Thank no, you. Sure. Antoinette, your father, um, you said he had to go to dialysis. How's he doing? Is he doing okay? So honestly, and I haven't told Cece this, and I'm sorry. Honestly, um, he has a lot of uh, good days and bad days. Um, but here lately, he's, he's started to lose his appetite. And that's not something I share with Julius, because that's Julius's greatest fear is that he won't get to hug his father. Mm -hmm. And he did not get to hug his father. Um, and that's what I was kind of talking about is we were supposed to have an in-person visitation on the 17th, right? Um, but we got the visitation the Sunday that would not have been if I hadn't have put in that order and thank God for that. But he didn't get to make it down there the Sunday to uh, give him a hug in person. And that mm -hmm. really affected him. So Julius's fight is also that to, to be able to hug and uh, touch his father too. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate all that, that you all are doing. Uh, yes. 
primaries uh, June the 28th. If people are listening in the state of Oklahoma, please apply for absentee ballots before it's too late. Um, get out there and vote. Um, if you need assistance, reach out to Vote for Change as well as my Facebook and my social media platforms. And as well, follow uh, Justice for Julius on all social media platforms. And thank you all so much for you know, standing with us. It takes us all. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, thank you. so much. Love y'all. And we're you. in the fight. Whatever we can do, please don't hesitate to ask. We won't. Thank y'all so much. Thank y'all. Love y'all. Man, I just, it's a lot. It's emotional. It's a lot it's, to unpack. As you it's said. a lot to unpack, man. Just seeing those ladies and just hearing that pain, but yet that fight in their voice, like they haven't given up and they're going to keep fighting, man. It's just a lot. So I just want to say once again, free Julius Jones. Shout out to everybody who, who've been fighting for him. Our brother Irv Roland, who was mm -hmm. pretty much the first person who notified us. You know, right. was a child, was a childhood friend of Julius. So, you know, everybody that's been in that fight, man, you know, I want to say our prayers go out to you and we salute you. Also, our other guests, you know, Chris Gotti, who he came. He could have kept Chris for two shows. He could have, man. I'm telling you, but this, this is, I get these kind of jewels with Chris all the time. This is my boy. So we sit and have these conversations and he's a very sharp individual. He's, he's street savvy, yet he's very intelligent. So he's one of the, one of the, one of my mentors that I talk to about a lot of different things. So shout out to Chris, man, and, and the knowledge he dropped. Hopefully, some young kids listen to it and not get swept up in this new Rico thing. Not really new, but they're definitely targeting hip hop and targeting our communities and targeting social media and how you use the social media to encompass you and, and, and entrap you in these Rico charges. So once again, shout out to him. And shout out to you, Tamika, you know, for the work that you out here doing. You know what I'm saying? You was in Buffalo this week. Giving, you you know, fed Buffalo, 500 people. Not me, but we, Buffalo, Black people is just, we just something else. Pain. We take a licking and keep on ticking. And we just keep going, man, I tell you. But, you no. know, I'm glad that ABN, uh, Trade the Truth, until Freedom and so many others were able to get together to do uh, the work we did in Buffalo and it has to continue. In fact, Trey just texted me, what's the plan? He needs to know. People moving around, he wanna know where folks is going and what they're doing and whether he should or should not be there and be involved. So we've got a brilliant, amazing team of very passionate, caring individuals. And I wouldn't want to be in this work with anyone else but y'all. So y'all a little crazy sometimes, but y'all the best at what y'all do, man. With that said, we want to say we appreciate you for continuing to support us. Keep tuning in, making us get better, pushing us to the next level. The next year, we definitely gonna be the number one show. You got my word on that. I'm not gonna always be right. Tamika Mary's not gonna always be wrong, but we will both always, and I mean always be authentic. Peace. Listen to Street Politicians on the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. And catch us every single Wednesday for the video version of Street Politicians on iWomen.tv. That's how we own it! A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich man Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, the podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.